Welcome to the Midnight Library, where we delve into the darkest corners of the internet to bring you three spine-tingling creepypastas each episode. So sit back, turn down the lights, and prepare yourself for a journey into the unknown. But be warned, once you enter the Midnight Library, you may never want to leave. They're coming in through the vents. Grandpa, it's your heart medication. No one is coming in through the vents. It was 2007 and my grandfather was slowly dying. His body had been on the fritz for a while and now his mind was starting to slip. My grandma had passed away two years earlier from a stroke. I think my grandpa had just wanted to give up, but I wouldn't let him. My grandparents were part of the greatest generation and they lived up to that. To this day, they're still the best people I ever knew. It's Al-Qaeda. Grandpa, Al-Qaeda is not climbing into your attic vents. My little brother had joined the Marines just before 9-11, and he found his end over in Iraq in 2005. My grandfather never got over his death. If my brother had still been around in 2007, maybe I would have had a little help with my grandpa. Maybe things would have been different. I know it sounds crazy, but I hear them up there every once in a while. Can you please just take a look? I remember looking at my watch. I was going to be late for one of my classes if I didn't nip the issue in the bud right then and there. I will check. He smiled and I grabbed a little stepladder from his garage. I popped the heavy access panel up. For some reason my father decided to enforce the panel with a length of 2.4 on each side. Nothing my dad did made any sense, and my mother was the exact same way. I shined a flashlight around the tight space of the attic. My grandparents' house was pretty large, so I couldn't see every nook and cranny of the attic. I had no ambition to crawl along rafters and insulation to confirm that it was empty. You see anybody up there, Jay? Nothing, Grandpa. Just rafters, cobwebs, and insulation. You're all good. I made it to class on time, but I had to ask to borrow notes from someone afterwards because all I could think about was my grandpa. My parents lived only a few miles from my grandpa, but they hardly ever went by to check on him. They were wanting him to go ahead and get things over with as well. They couldn't wait to sell the house. I checked on him every day just after work and right before class, and on the weekends I would see him just before my night job. I was in the process of rebuilding a life that I had ruined on my own. I was living out of my car. I would have moved in with him and been around a little bit more, but my parents refused. We didn't get along very well. Hey Jay, I'm still a little worried about those vents. It was a couple of weeks after he had first asked me about checking his attic. His face was a little more haggard than usual, but he was old. Did you see something? My question made his eyes dart over to the back window. He shook his head, but I knew it was the new medication they had him on. The hallucinations were happening far more often. I asked my mother on the phone if there was an alternative. That went nowhere. Grandpa, what did you see? You can tell me. They creep around the yard at night, can you please just get up on a ladder and make sure the vents are secure? Put some big screws in them? Okay. I walked around the house. He had three metal vents under three gables. From the ground they looked just fine and I expected nothing less, but I would need to get a ladder. I walked into his garage and found his old aluminum extension ladder. It was buried behind a tremendous amount of dusty junk covered in cobwebs. It was no longer my grandfather's garage. When he was able-bodied, my grandfather was a regular Hank Hill, and everything was neatly organized. This was now my parents' dusty two-car storage bin, 
where they would throw odd bits of shit they found at estate sales. I looked at my watch. I had a test that night. I knew I didn't have the time and I told myself that I would come over a little earlier on Saturday so I could do what he wanted. I walked back inside. Hey grandpa, it's all good? He was in his recliner watching the shootist. He was watching that one every week now. Okay, are you going to class? Yeah, I'll be back tomorrow. Call me if you need anything. I love you. I love you too. As the weeks went on, I noticed that he was declining. He was seeing things more often and he was having trouble remembering things. I had been doing his dishes every time I was over, and I would handle the trash because he kept forgetting. But when he stopped showering is when I got really worried. His eyes were also drawn. He wasn't sleeping. I thought you screwed the vents in. I did it weeks ago. Well, I heard them up there again. Sometimes they'll yell all day. They're angry up there. They're coming in to get me. Grandpa, I'm here every day. I never hear anything. That's because they know you're here. They're quiet. Grandpa, it's your heart medication. You need to start taking showers, Grandpa. The house stinks. Really bad. I can't. They'll get me in the shower. Can you just check the vents again? I'll check them. I didn't check them. I did something infinitely harder. I called my mother. Mom, he's not doing good. Jay, he's old. People start to lose it toward the end. Look, I'm just going to ask again. If you guys would just let me stay with him. Absolutely not. My mother had me on speaker and my father had to chime in. His voice was distant. It seemed poetic to me. The last thing John needs is some freeloader staying in his house. He can get his own fucking house, living in a damn car. Honey. I could hear my mother shushing my father and a muffled protest coming from him right afterward. You don't have to go over there every day. Your grandfather is perfectly capable of taking care of himself. But he's not mom. Come on, he's your dad. Who do you think you are when it comes to my relationship with my father? I could hear my dad in the background telling her to hang up the phone. After a couple more remarks, that's exactly what she did. I'm sorry, but we can't risk decreasing the dosage. This is what his heart needs. Unfortunately, he's one of those rare people that have a reaction to it. His doctor was a cold, balding man. I took a shot. Doctor, he's not doing good. I need your help. Son, to be honest, I shouldn't even be talking with you as much as I have. This is your mother's father. She's the one responsible for him. I can't legally do anything unless you think some abuse is going on. Okay. You yourself can always reach out to Adult Protective Services if you think there's abuse going on. Then they'd just throw him in a home, huh? That's a possibility, yes. I could never do that to him. Son, talk to your mother. Share your concerns with her. She's a very nice woman and she cares about her father very much. As the weeks went by, his house started smelling worse and his face was hanging lower and lower. I was trying my best. Son, I know I'm old. I know I'm losing it upstairs, but I want you to be honest with me. Did you ever put those screws in those vents for me? Yeah. I was fixing him something to eat that didn't come out of a box. I had started cooking dinner for him every night. He was at least going to have real food. I think you're fibbing. Here, eat it while it's hot. You're not answering me. You know what, Grandpa, before I leave, I'm going to run up the ladder and I'll check all of them again. I want you to trust me. Can you check the access panel too? I cleaned up his kitchen and grabbed the stepladder. I hadn't been down the hallway toward the rest of the house for at least two weeks. I noticed that there were chunks of sheetrock on the carpet, and when I looked up I saw quite a few holes in the ceiling. 
I walked through every room in the back of the house and every room had holes poked through them. Grandpa? I dropped the stepladder in one of the spare bedrooms and walked back into the living room. Where did all the holes in the ceilings come from? I'm telling you, they're up there. I used the broomstick to try and shut them up. Poke them real good. Grandpa, you can't poke holes in your ceilings. He got up from his recliner and took his dirty dish and dropped it in the sink. I noticed that there was a gun on his recliner. What's this? I grabbed it. My grandfather was a correctional officer in his later years before he retired. It was his service pistol. My gun. Why are you sitting on it? He walked back over to me and took it from my hand. It's mine. I can do what I want with it. Grandpa, you can't. I'm tired of everyone telling me what I can't do. Everybody else is just sitting around waiting for me to die. He yelled, but then he was silent for a moment before he collected himself. When he spoke again, his voice was low, almost a whisper. Please don't act like your mother. For the love of God, never act like your father. Outside of your grandmother and your brother, you have always been the best thing in my life. You're all I've got left, son. Please treat me like a grown man. I'm not crazy. He did that thing that good men do. His lips quivered and his eyes got wet. His voice was on the verge of breaking, but he refused to cry. Not because he thought it was weak, but because he didn't like the thought of his feelings being a burden to anyone. I'll make sure they're good. What? The vents. Thank you, I'm sorry I yelled at you. It's alright, I deserved it. A man's got a right to defend his house, doesn't he, Jay? Yes, he does, Grandpa. I knew that I was going to be about an hour late for class, but I found my grandfather's drill gun and I dug out his ladder. I sunk ten screws into the vents. I had a little bit of a hard time with the last one. There was a tree growing right next to the back of the house and it was really difficult to get the ladder in a decent position. It took me a while to get to it. I almost considered climbing the tree rather than using the ladder. It certainly would have been easier. Once I had all the tools put away, I walked inside. Grandpa? Yes? Here, look. I took a picture of each one on my phone so you could see that it's done. Some of them are a little blurry because of the flash reflecting off of the metal. I handed him my phone. Yeah, it's getting dark out there. He inspected the first one and then handed the phone back to me. I don't need to look at them, Jay. I trust you. I want you to take a shower and relax. They're secure. Nothing getting in or out of those guys. Thank you, Jay. You're welcome. I'm late for school. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm cleaning this place top to bottom. It smells in here. Yeah, I know it. I think a lot of it is coming from when they get in the vents. Well, we don't have to worry about that anymore, right? Yep. We're also going to fix all those holes in the ceiling. I don't want you poking anymore. I won't. Grandma wouldn't be happy with you running around destroying the house. He smiled at me and his lips started to quiver again. No, I don't think she would. I love you, son. I love you too. I'll be back tomorrow. I had a nightmare that night. When my brother and I were younger, my grandpa loved to tell us scary stories next to the fireplace at night. The dream felt so real. My grandmother was sitting in her chair with my little brother in her lap while I sat on the floor. They were both from Iowa and he was telling his favorite story, one that both of my grandparents grew up with, the axe murders of Villisca, Iowa. A long time ago, a man hid away in an attic of a large ranch house out in the middle of nowhere. He stayed there all day. 
the police found multiple cigarette butts in the attic, proving that the murderer just sat up there all day waiting for the family who lived in the house to go to sleep. Once they were asleep, he murdered them all with an axe and the killer was never caught. When my grandfather finished the story, I turned around and saw that my brother and my grandmother had both disappeared. I asked my grandfather where they went and he pulled out his gun. The man in the attic got them. I woke up in a cold sweat in the back seat of my car. Something wasn't right. It wasn't the dream. It was something else. I picked up my phone and dialed my grandfather, but there was no answer. I couldn't shake a feeling of fear that had come over me. A terrifying knot in the pit of my stomach. I was sweating. I felt like I missed something. I stepped out of my car and had a cigarette while I tried to get a handle on my thoughts. I was halfway through it when the flesh on the back of my neck started to tingle as if someone was watching me. The pictures. I grabbed my phone. I opened my pictures and looked at the ones I had taken from my grandfather. When I got to the last one my heart dropped. I was staring at a monster. I jumped in my car. My hands were shaking on the wheel. I have never felt fear like that since. It took me seven minutes to drive to my grandfather's house. When I pulled down my grandfather's street, it was filled with police cars. Neighbors were standing in groups outside of a police line. I stopped my car and ran underneath the police tape that was around my grandfather's house. Two cops stopped me and I explained who I was. A detective dressed in a suit walked over to me. What happened? You're the grandson? Yes. Where is my grandpa? Son, I need to ask you some questions. We've been trying to get a hold of your parents, but we can't find them. They're on vacation somewhere. Okay, well as far as we know, where is my grandpa? I hate to tell you this, but your grandfather was murdered. My legs were rubber and my hand went to my mouth. How? How? What time did you leave your grandfather's last night? Sometime around five. It was a struggle to stand. Did you notice anything strange about the house while you were here? No. Why were you here so late? Neighbors told us you always come and leave at the same time every day. They said you were here over an hour later than usual. He's... He's on this new heart medication and it makes him hallucinate. He kept telling me for weeks that people were trying to get into his attic. He's... He's losing it. So after a few weeks of lying, last night I finally put a bunch of screws into his gable vents so no one could get in. Okay, we, uh... We've apprehended a disturbed individual that we believe was living in your grandfather's attic for quite some time. I felt like throwing up. Oh my god. He'd come out every night and go back in before morning. Looks like he was using the oak tree out back to climb to and from. Apparently he was in there when you screwed in all the vents and he couldn't get out. So a few hours ago he crawled out through the inside of the house down through the attic access. Your grandfather must have heard him because he tried to shoot the intruder. He grazed him once, but the man was able to disarm your grandfather, and then it appears he beat your grandfather to death with the access panel. I'm sorry. I staggered over to one of the cruisers and sat on the front bumper. I took out my phone as the detective stood over me. We were trying to find some contact information on you. How did you know something was wrong? I took some pictures last night to prove to my grandfather that the vents were secure. I woke up and I took another look at them. I handed the phone to the detective. He looked at the picture. The last photo had a slight glare from the flash on my phone. If you looked closely, 
you could see a blurry face hiding behind the vent. The face of the monster that took my grandfather. It was just a college project, something I hadn't even bothered to place too much thought into. Granted, for Dr. Smith, not his real name for obvious reasons, and his colleagues, it was probably something far more important. I just took the project as a bit of extra credit, though if I'd known what was going to happen I would have stayed as far away from the project as possible. Dr. Smith was a professor of theology, though he had dabbled in quite a many things beforehand. It was how he even got the idea for this new project. He was quite curious to see how religion evolved throughout the ages. Now while it was one thing to look through historical records and see how civilization's concepts of religion evolved, but he wanted to see things from the ground up. I'm sure you've heard of other AI projects, such as AI-generated images and whatnot, possibly even AI-generated languages that make no sense to humans. Dr. Smith wanted to see how an AI's views on religion would evolve. To simplify what we did, we took as much information on religious texts and upon God that we could find, and fed it into an AI. We then created a second AI into which we fed different philosophical theories regarding religion, and used these two to communicate to each other. One would be the preacher, and the other would be the disciple. We would get to know about what the preacher thought of the world through what the disciple asked. It worked in a simple question and answer format. Initially we didn't get very promising results. All we saw initially was garbage from which no meaning could be derived. Dr. Smith wasn't disheartened, however, and told us to continue on with the project. It was on the seventh day that we finally got things right, as in, we got a result that made sense. Preacher, what is that you want to ask? Disciple, what is the nature of the world? Preacher, all belongs to X982J+. In case you're wondering, that gibberish collection of letters was something else entirely on the screen. Truth is that I didn't even recognize the symbols that the computer was using and I had no idea as to how they had popped up on the screen. I can... I can remember a few of them individually, but the moment I try to string them all together into one word, my mind blanks out. I tried drawing them on a piece of paper and uploading them, but... I just couldn't, I don't know why, but I do remember that it was always the same sequence of letters. Preacher, thou must worship X982J+. Disciple. And how shall one worship X982J+, Preacher? One must not wear purple on Thursdays. I blinked when I saw this result. It seemed rather nonsensical. Disciple. But why would X982J+, not want me to wear purple on Thursdays? It looked like the Disciple was doing its job properly. Initially, nothing really happened. The AIs just kept talking to each other. The Preacher had more silly rules like, Never plant lilies in rows of four. Finally, a question that I expected to pop up way beforehand came up. Disciple, prove that X982J plus exists. Preacher, I do not need to prove what I believe. Well, it looked like this was not going anywhere. At least I thought so. Preacher, then you may behold proof that X982J plus exists. Preacher, in the year 2028, a new planet shall appear in the sky, and from it the form of X982J plus shall envelop the earth. The dead will rise from their graves, the sun will be blotted from the sky, and blood will rain onto the streets. I just thought, wow, a doomsday prophecy. I didn't expect them to reach this point so soon. Disciple. And what shall we do to prepare? Preacher. You will spread the name of X982J+. All who know of that name will need to submit to him if they wish to be spared. Disciple. 
And what of those who don't know of him, preacher? The ignorant will simply die painless deaths. Those who knew of this name but did not submit, however, will be tortured for all eternity even after their deaths. And those who know of this name will spread the word of that name, else they will be guilty of the highest of sins and be subject to the lowest circles of hell. It is only the ones who submitted to the whims of X982J+, whose lives will be spared and who will rejoice. Disciple. But where is the proof of this? Preacher. All those humans who have read this script will die in a week if they do not spread the word of X982J+, as much as they can. Disciple. I see. They should be careful then. I stopped reading at that point, confused. This took quite a macabre turn, and I brought it up with Dr. Smith, who shrugged and said this was to be expected as a result. And I would have brushed it off, if it hadn't been for the deaths. Dr. Smith died in a car crash the next day. Another worker fell down a flight of stairs and snapped her neck. One after another, they all died. In total, 16 people aside from me, everyone who had read that script, knew of this, they all met their ends. Except me. And the week's almost over. I have no choice but to be more safe than sorry. I'm spreading word of that god the AI mentioned as much as possible. And now may I remind you, you know of that name as well. And though you're not a member of the original group who read that script, you have a duty now as well. To spread that name as much as you can, or else after all judgment day will soon come. And do you want to risk what might befall you? I certainly wouldn't. I can remember getting my first sympathy card 60 years ago when I was a junior at Nichols College in Massachusetts back in 1962. I was a 20-year-old finance and accounting major back then. My name was handwritten on the envelope in a slightly messy, scribbly fashion, as if a right-handed person tried to write my name and address with his or her left hand. The envelope appeared weathered with tarnished brown marks, creases, and slight tears as if it floundered in the postal system for 20 years. I immediately thought it was a prank as soon as I opened it. It was a very generic Hallmark sympathy card offering me condolences on my loss. There was no return address on the envelope and absolutely nothing was written on the inside of the card. I do recall the envelope had a six cent postage stamp affixed with the USPS ink stamp across it. I can remember shaking my head and chuckling while sitting on my dorm bed. I quickly went room to room down my dorm hallway asking and or accusing my fellow classmates on who did this weird and morbid joke. April Fool's Day was the week before, so I thought maybe the card got lost in the mail. Everybody denied any part of the obvious prank. The card and envelope got tossed. Again, that was over 60 years ago, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. The very next day, my mother called me and informed me that my grandfather, her dad, had passed suddenly from a massive heart attack. I went home for a few days to attend the funeral service and spend time with my parents, siblings, and cousins. I totally dismissed the card that I received the day before as coincidental. So again, that was my first sympathy card. Over the next 60 years, I would go on and receive probably 40 or so sympathy cards, arriving at random intervals no matter where I lived. It was the same type of nondescript, generic Hallmark card with the same chicken-scratched handwriting on the front. The envelope always looked old and faded with no return address, and nothing ever written on the inside. It would always have the appropriate stamp glued to it along with the USPS stamping across it certifying that the post office received and delivered it. 
The inside of the card always had the typical four or five sentences written by a very creative and sensitive employee of Hallmark telling me how sorry they feel for my loss. Weird, right? Okay, here's the kicker. The very next day after I'd receive a condolence card, someone close to me would die. I quickly established that connection early after I received my second card, at a different address, and then was informed that my Uncle Ernie passed the next day in a tragic automobile accident. I was 25 years old then. After that, every two to five years I would randomly get a sympathy card delivered. Then I would find out that a grandparent, parent, ex-co-worker, an old neighbor, an aunt or uncle or an old college friend had passed. Once I reached my 60s, more close acquaintances and family would pass, sometimes up to three in one year, with each death preceded with a sympathy card in my mail the day before. I got married at the age of 33 to a lovely and caring woman named Doris. I kept this from her our entire marriage as I did not want to pull her into something I don't even understand myself. I didn't want to upset her or try to convince her it was more than just a coincidence. The cards would get delivered to me, I wouldn't even open them. They got tossed in the garbage pail before even getting into the house. There was absolutely no way I thought of keeping them as I was convinced they were somehow, in some way, cursed. I did not want Doris involved in any of this. Doris died 22 years ago at the young age of 55 from a brain aneurysm. It happened so suddenly. She died at home in my arms, something I'll never forget. The card that came in the mail the day before was for her. I just assumed it was another uncle or an older cousin. The guilt that followed weighed heavily on my thoughts for years. If only I had known, could I have somehow prevented her from dying? Who knew she was going to die and why didn't they reach out to me? As I grew older, my sister would pass at 72 with my brother going four years later at the age of 79. Many ex-co-workers, two bowling buddies, a handful of cousins, at least six college friends back from my days at Nichols, and four very close golf buddies all died. And with each passing, there was a foreshadowing sympathy card in my mail the day before. I just can't ever seem to wrap my head around this morbid phenomenon. Who is sending me these cards? How do they know every address that I have ever lived at over the last 62 years? Why is there nothing ever written inside? How the hell do they know all my family and close friends? How do they know they're dying the next day? And lastly, why me? Why me? Now at my age, every time I receive a sympathy card, I pray it's not one of my adult children or my grandchildren. My children are in their 50s now with teenage children of their own. I worry so much about them as they venture further out of the house driving around with their teen friends, possibly involved in risky teenage behavior. My world would be absolutely crushed if anything ever happened to them or to my adult children. No child or grandchild should ever die before the parent or grandparent, but it does happen and it's what keeps me up at night whenever I receive a card in the mail. Nowadays when I receive a card, I call both my children the next morning to do a wellness check. I'll ask what they're doing that day and assess their risk level if they're going out in public or traveling somewhere by car or plane. I'll ask about my grandchildren too, and make sure they will be somewhere safe. I know my children think I'm on the cusp of dementia when I make these annoying calls, but I just need to do it for peace of mind. I always end the phone call by telling them to be careful driving. So here I am, 82 years young, sitting at my kitchen table, writing this on lined paper with a big ballpoint pen in hand. I just don't know what's going to happen to me, so I want to document this strange phenomenon that has plagued me for the last 60 plus years. 
I'm not sure if this will be my last entry. My son called me earlier this afternoon. He told me that he received the weirdest thing in the mail today. He said he received a stamped envelope addressed to him with, according to my son, handwriting that looked like a fourth grader might have written it. He said the envelope looked ancient, and he told me inside the envelope was a hallmark sympathy card with absolutely nothing written on the inside of the card. He told me it's probably some stupid prank from one of his co-workers. Later in our conversation he asked me what my plans were for tomorrow. I told him I'm definitely staying inside all day. Thank you for joining us on the Midnight Library. We hope that our three spine-tingling creepypastas have left you feeling suitably spooked and entertained. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Your feedback helps us to improve and grow our audience, so we can continue to bring you the best in horror storytelling. Until next time, remember to keep an open mind and a steady heartbeat. The darkness may be lurking just around the corner, but with the Midnight Library as your guide, you're never alone in the shadows.